Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that word this morning to Paul's letter to the house church at Philippi. It's called Philippians. And we're going to be in the third chapter. We're going to read it at verse 17. And let me just kind of put this in context before Preston reads for us. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to, again, that house church of Philippi. That's where he wrote almost all his letters, is to little groups of people that are huddled up in the houses trying to obey Jesus and they love him with all their hearts. It's written, the letter's written probably from Rome in about 62 A.D. So it's getting kind of late in Paul's life, and it's written as he's in a prison. I mean, that's pretty incredible, particularly when you read what he's saying. So he's writing this from prison, and he encourages the church at Philippi to live as citizens of a heavenly city and to want to encourage them in their spiritual growth. So if you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as Preston reads Philippians 3.17 to 4.1. Amen. Wonderful. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, there are four things I'd like to point out from this passage today. Uh, and it's, it's a moving passage. Paul's writing from prison, and he's saying kind of his last words to the local church there at, uh, at Philippi. One of the th interesting words that comes forth, though, is about 30 times in the Pauline epistles is the word walk. And the word is uh, actually uh, peripateo. Pateo means walk, and para means around. So walk around with the Lord. As you're walking around, I want you to walk with the Lord. Uh, and, of course, usually walking around typically means I've got a direction for you. I've got a mission out there for you. Walk towards that. It's one of the premier ways to describe discipleship in Scripture. Uh, you see it in the Old Testament. 
Abraham walked with God, Noah walked with God, Enoch walked with God. It's one of the ways that discipleship is talked about even in the Old Testament. When you come forth to the New Testament, it's interesting uh, that Jesus is a walker. And he says, walk with me. Actually, he says, follow me. I'm walking and I'm not waiting around to uh, argue with you as to whether you ought to or not. I'm just taking off. Come, take off with me. Walk with me. And then, of course, you get to the Pauline epistles. And it's one of the phrases Paul uses 30 times. He says, oh, walk, walk, walk in the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. On and on it goes. And uh, I'm captivated by that today. He also recognizes that you can walk according to the pattern you have in us, or you can walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so there are a number of different directions we could go with this. I, uh, I want to remind you that there's a dear friend of mine and also is a president of my seminary that passed away. I've been busy this week uh, at funerals. We had one here in Jackson, then needed to go to Kentucky. Actually said a few words at the one in Kentucky. Um, and his name was John Nyhoff. And one thing John loved to do was to make walking sticks. Uh, and he, he called these curly sticks. You can imagine why. Um, and he would, uh, he'd go out in his, uh, in his woods there behind the, his house, and uh, he would get some wood. He'd, he'd craft these sticks, and then they, he'd give them out to people. And uh, I got one of them. He never actually gave this to me physically. I think I was gone the day he was giving them to the faculty. And so I, I ended up seeing it in my office one day. But I recognized when he did give it to people what he would say. He would go up. And I saw him do this at a banquet. Uh, he would go around and say to either prominent people in the community or sometimes just friends of his or prayer warriors. But I remember one time he gave uh, about a half dozen of these away at a banquet. And one of them was to his pastor. Uh, and he walked up to his pastor, and he said, I, I want you to walk with me. Will, he just said it, will you walk with me? And he, he waited for an answer. It wasn't, hey, I like the stick, I'll take the stick. No, I want you to walk with me. I'm giving you the stick so you will walk with me. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that uh, people would take the stick, and they'd say, yes, I'll walk with you. Couple ways you could go. Again, you go in a righteous way, you could go in an unrighteous way, but John was heading towards righteousness. John was heading towards holiness. John was heading to say, I want to make of the institution which has employed me for leadership, I want to make this in institution extraordinary for the gospel. And he was doing just that. Uh, now he, uh, he's in heaven, and uh, the rest of us down here have our walking sticks, and we're supposed to be walking with him, doing what we do day by day, moment by moment, year by year, keep walking. Use the stick. Uh, I've got to ask the question, when I'm not walking well, why is that? Everybody here needs to ask, when I'm not walking well, why is that I'm not walking? What is the impediment? Uh, do I lack someone to follow? Uh, let me go find that guy. Let me go find that gal that I can follow. Do I, uh, do I have some kind of hindrance or sin in my life? I think these are great questions to ask. And then we say, okay, once I recognize how you can walk well, Lord, give me the grace and give me the grace of decision-making so I can make the decisions appropriate to walk well. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking about John today. I'm, I'm thinking about walking sticks today. Most of all, I'm thinking about us doing what the Lord wants us to do. Para pateo. He wants us to walk around with him for his kingdom and for his glory. Second thing that's, that's mentioned here is this whole example in us. Paul, I tell you what, 
Paul doesn't strike me as a shy guy. Anybody ever read any, much about Paul? He's not a, really a shy guy, is he? he he's not a guy that kind of says, uh, all right, uh, I haven't got my act together. You don't have your act together. Let's have our not acts together together, okay? That's not what he says. He says, the Lord straightened me out. And because he straightened me out by his grace, it's obviously he's capable of straightening people out. And so I'm not going to get up here behind the pulpit today and say, hey, I'm a messed up guy. I'm going to say, no, the Lord straightened me out. I'm setting an example. I want you all to follow the example. Now, that's just not very American, is it? It's culturally inappropriate for us to do that kind of thing. But Paul didn't care about what's culturally appropriate in America. He just says, listen, I know what Jesus has done in me, and I want him to do it in you, so follow me. They say, no, no, that's not what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to say, we're all mess-ups, we're all screw-ups. There's, there's no way we can get this thing right, so let's not follow each other. Let's follow Jesus together. And Paul seems to indicate, no. God can get you straightened out and get you straightened out enough where you can look back at the people and say, come along with me. Come, follow me. The Lord show me some things. I want to show you the things that the Lord has shown me. And he's, he says it over and over again. Uh, the word imitate is in Scripture about seven times. Five of these times comes right from Paul's pen, and he's the only one to use it as boldly as he does. But here we go. 1 Corinthians 4, he says, be imitators of me. Now you're thinking, anybody here feel like you can say that to somebody? Imitate me. That's some boldness right there. But here's the point. God can get you to the place where you are imitatable. Now, I'm quite sure that's not a word, but work with me, okay? Amen. He can get you to the place where you are imitatable, and you will know it, and the body of Christ will know it, and the people who aren't following will know it too. This is an imitatable guy. I think I will. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3 says, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In Philippians 4 he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice those things. In 1 Thessalonians he says, You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 2 Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Now, I know what somebody's thinking right now. Well, that's Paul. For crying out loud, he's Paul. I'm not. No, you're not. But Paul's not Jesus. Paul's not God. Paul was a murderer. Paul breathed threats and persecution against the church of Jesus Christ. Paul killed people and wanted people to get killed. And Jesus said one day, enough of that. You now belong to me. Just like he said to you. Just like he said to you. Do you remember the day he said it to you? You now belong to me. You are mine. And if you heard that, then yes, he can get you to the point where you are indeed imitatable. And he can get you to the point where you can say to someone, you know, the Lord showed me some things. Why don't you come along and learn from me the things that he's shown me. Let's go. Let's go towards God. Let's walk in his direction. Yes, that is possible. Now, most people are going to say, no, I just need to read my Bible. And listen, uh, read your Bible. Your pastor said it today. Read your Bible. But, you know, sometimes we need to have someone with some flesh on. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes it's nice to have somebody with some skin on. I, uh, 
I, I love my sister Lisa. She, uh, some of you know her. Um, we need to have her here sometime to speak. She's a better thinker than I am. She's a better speaker than I am. She's better, but I kind of love this moment. I was a, she's better. She's just better. I'll just admit it. She's better. But my high school had a, a, a had to vote on someone to be in the Hall of Fame, so I got elected to the Hall of Fame, and she didn't. I just thought, <laughs> take that, Lisa. She reminded me. You know, I was. I was, a, I was named to the A Club at Asbury College, you know. So every year they have some alumni uh, that go to A Club. Well, I was at Asbury College the day before yesterday. And I thought, you know, my sister, she said she was in the A Club. Let me go find it. And uh, down, down in the, downstairs of Hughes Auditorium, the great auditorium, uh, downstairs uh, they have all the pictures of all the students. And then I saw it. At the end of the hallway, there's the A Club. And they don't have much, but little things. So I... I, I say, oh, I wonder if Lisa's, oh, sure, right there she is. And I can't wait to tell her. But Lisa, they misspelled your name. <laughs> I can't wait to tell my sister. At least I got my name right in Great Ben. They misspelled yours at your beloved Asbury College. I can't wait to tell her. <laughs> having said that, wherever she went, I wanted to go. She was four years older, so I don't know what our ages would be when this moment happened. I bet I was probably four or five years of age. Add, add four to that, you, you got the deal. And you can just imagine how uh, irritating I was to her life. Because everywhere she went, I went. And so wherever she was at. So one day, I remember we were in Aunt Alita. Aunt Alita lived ne next door to us. Uh, she's actually our great aunt. She's kind of like a second mother. Anyway, we were in her driveway, in Aunt Alita's driveway, and Lisa has had enough of me for this day. She has had it. She doesn't want Matt in her life anymore. She doesn't see the the sweet love in my eyes for her anymore. She's, I'm, I'm sick of this guy. So she looks at me, she goes, she goes, where are you going? She says, I'm going that way, because she was going that way. I'm going that way. She goes, yeah, which way you want to go now? I said, well, there's a challenge. I said, I want to go that way. She goes, okay, go that way. So I started moving that way. Then I saw she sprinted that way. Guess what I did? You betcha, sprinted right after her. I'm, I'm sure I caught her eventually. She wasn't that fast. I'm sure I caught her eventually, and here I was again. But, you know, I always thought about that. I didn't want to follow a direction. She said, go that way. I didn't want to go that way. I wanted to go her way. And Paul knew it. Paul's saying, okay, we got all these incredible scriptural teaching. Back, back then, that would have been basically stories that were being told about Jesus, some of them starting to get written down, and then, of course, it would have been about the Old Testament. So... You've heard those ideas, but Paul says, I've actually, by the grace of God, I'm living into those principles, living into those precepts, and you can live that way. Follow me. It's an incredible thing. I've got some flesh on these ideas by the grace of God, not by my own power, but by the grace of God, therefore follow me. And Paul, by the way, is in prison when he writes this, or he said that. And as he's in prison, I think one of the things he says is, listen, I want you to follow me, meaning, at least in part, Everybody knows that my head's coming off here pretty quick. Or I'm going to get put on a cross or something. I'm about ready to suffer and die. And he says, you need to be willing to suffer and die. You need to be willing to go to prison. You need to be willing to get stoned. You need to be willing to get beaten. You need to be willing to have spittle roll down your face because of this gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He says, so imitate me. I'm in prison right now. I'm probably going to die here pretty quick. That being the case, you need to be willing to do the same. Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself in prison, and he would die in prison because of Adolf Hitler. But he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he says, this thing costs. It costs you your life. And this is one of the famous passages out of The Cost of Discipleship. He said, it is costly, this gospel, because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin, but it's grace because it justifies, makes right the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. But in that day, just like today, there's all kinds of people who try to cheapen this gospel, Jesus Christ. We should have none of it. We must be willing to be willing to give up our life, our dreams, our aspirations. Quit saying, this is what I want to do, and start asking, what does Jesus want me to do? By the way, it's a great thing to ask if you're young and you're about ready to go to college. Quit asking, what do I want to do? Start asking, what does Jesus want me to do? I can guarantee you, his dreams are better than your dreams. Amen? He's got a better mind, a better thing in mind for you than you have for yourself. And it's true not only of our teens, it's true of every one of us. Quit asking, what do I want to do? Begin asking, what does the Lord want me to do? And what will, he what will His Spirit empower me to do? Third thing is this. Paul talks about two lives. The enemies of the cross, well, their end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. And he juxtaposes that with the Philippian disciples. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state. So he says, don't be like the enemies of the cross. Be like God has already made you and wants you to be more like a disciple. Like me, says Paul. Now I want you to notice all the plurals here. The enemies of the cross, their appetite, their shame, their minds. Also, on the other side, our citizenship, we eagerly await our humble state. You know, we frequently go up or down with the crowd, don't we? And he says, you're in the right crowd right now. Now, in the right crowd, that means you need to go out and serve a pagan world. Invite them to Jesus. Love them, but you need to come back to this local church on a regular basis to get empowered and get to, to get reminded who you really are in Christ Jesus, where your citizenship really is. Now, also interesting, this is so important to Paul, because if you look, look there in, uh, in 317, I don't know about your translation, but here there is a word by Paul that is one of the soon words. And one of the soon words means S-U-N was with. And Paul made up words. He says there's no word in the English language that can describe what is a reality in Christ. I can't find that word in Homer. I can't find that word in Hesiod. I can't find that word in any of the tragic play, tra the, the, the tragedies. Therefore, what I'm going to do is make up a word. And he does it all over his epistles. Here's a word. I made it up. And here the word is, hey, let's go ahead and... Go up and down together at the point of let's follow together. There's no word like that in Greek. 
He made one up. That's how important this thing is. Paul knew what Jesus was teaching him. I can't find words for it in the Greek language, therefore I'll make up a new word. Let's follow together. Incredible thing. Now, I'm, I, I, there, there's too many things here to cover. Too many, well, four basic things about the enemies of the cross. We could go each one of them and do a sermon series on this. And of course, three major things for the disciples at the Church of Philippi. I just want to go over one, uh, and it's this. Whose God is their appetite. Wow, that phrase has got me this week. I'm just telling you. I got to ask the question. The Lord said in Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matt, do you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness or do you hunger and thirst for stuff? Now, what kind of stuff could we be talking about? Money? Anybody here real quick? Anybody here ever hungered for money? I'm not saying you do now, but you, you've been there, right? I've hungered for it, want to work for it, want more of it, and more of it, and more of it. How much more to make you happy? They asked that to John Rockefeller one time. You remember what he said? Hey, John, you're the richest guy in the world. How much more would make you happy? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. You never get to the end of that. Money can't satisfy, and money's not going to make you a better person. Money, sex, I won't ask you to raise your hands right now, but how many of you have ever hungered and thirsted for sex when it made you do stupid things? Money, sex, power, prestige. Boy, we could do sermons on every one of those, but I want to say I've lived long enough to know that one of the things I tend to have an appetite for and that I've noticed our culture has an appetite for is the trivial. Just the stupid little stuff that pretty soon looms large in our lives. Pretty soon it consumes us. So I looked up the Latin trivialis, where we get trivial from the Latin trivialis. And it means this, appropriate to the street corner, commonplace, even vulgar. But vulgar just meant common, base. So appropriate to the street, I thought, I thought to myself, all right, all right, what is trivial in American culture? And I wasn't thinking so much today as I was thinking back in the day. Uh, what could you see them doing on the street corners? And I got to tell you, I don't know, for some dumb reason, the only thing I could think of was tiddlywinks. Imagine a bunch of kids saying, hey, mom's inside the store there. Let's get out our tiddlywinks. I, I, I thought of another one, too, marbles. I don't know any, any kid of mine. Uh, I, did, I don't remember any, any kid I ran around with in the day playing marbles. But in the prior generation, marbles was a big thing. Take out your marbles, and you, know, you got a game associated with it. And do it up. Woo! So I was thinking, all right, let's just roll with those two things. Sweetheart, do we have any marbles? The Freedom and House has no marbles. What a, what a pitiful people we must be. No marbles. I said, all right, baby, how about, uh, how about tiddlywinks? We got any of those? And guess what? Not really, but sort of. My, my wife does crafts for the children all the time. So we got kind of, yeah, sort of, sort of uh, tiddlywinks. So uh, apparently there's a whole game that goes on with tiddlywinks. Do you know it? I, I don't know how to play it. I don't know anything about it. But what I, I think I discerned was you take a bunch of tiddlywinks here. I'm sure there's a certain number. And you, you just kind of pour them out. You put this thing here. And then you say, okay, let me try to get these tiddlywinks in here. Is, I got the game about right? Is that kind of it? So would you like to see how good your pastor is at tiddlywinks? Here we go. All right, not so much. I got to do it a little gentler. Well, got to get a little more elevation. 
I'm getting irritated. <laughs> I'm starting to get furious. Now, in the Friedman family, the next step that comes along is this. Ah! <laughs> What's the next trivial thing I can get into? Woe be unto me if I were actually good at it. Because this is what happens to tiddlywinks. I wondered about this. I wondered about this. I bet there's a world championships of tiddlywinks. Guess what? There is. And by the way, marbles too. There is a world championship of marble playing. And guess what? They have their own magazines. They have their own heroes. They have their own, they have their own world rankings. Tiddlywinks, marbles. I thought, I thought so. Because you see, I used to throw the discus and I thought, man, this is a pretty stupid thing. But guess what? They throw it in the Olympics. So I'm thinking, all right. We've made something really, really trivial called tiddlywinks, and we've made an upset. Now, we, not we, just the idiots that are into this thing. That's not us. No, 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 I'm not into tiddlywinks. What moron would be into tiddlywinks? And marbles? That's dumb. No, no, no. Here's my favorite one, honestly, my favorite one because of where I'm from. There was a Christian man one day that thought, you know, I need a game for when uh, it's raining. So one day it's raining, he's thinking, okay, I got to look around. I got to make up some kind of game so my guys can run around in the gym. By the way, you got to remember this. In gym class, we did some pretty dumb stuff growing up, right? Anything, just to run around, do something. My favorite thing was to sit on a little uh, roller thing, right, and play hockey or whatever else you did. on the. I love some of this stuff, but honestly, the thing that has captured our imagine more than anything else is what this guy came up with. A guy named, I won't tell you his name, let me just hold you in suspense for at least another 10 seconds. He's looking around saying, okay, all right, what can we do? Now, he's a Christian guy, loves Jesus. What can we do? Oh, whoa, look at there. There's a basket. Hmm. Hey, Jimmy, go tack this basket up there. How high? Up their ways. Just get up their ways. Oh, there's another basket. Uh -huh. Hey, Bobby, uh, about the same height as Jimmy over there. Just, just put it up there. Yeah, we've got it. Hey, here's a ball. All right. I know this is going to be dumb and these guys aren't going to like it, but let's just try this. Guys, we're going to divide up into two teams. I want one team to try to put the ball in that basket and the other team to try to put it in that basket. <laughs> that changed our world. His name was James Naismith. That was Springfield, Massachusetts. The next thing you know, we have multi-millionaires playing this game for big time money. You know that piece of scrap paper he wrote all those rules down on? My campus, where I went to school, built a multi-million dollar building. And there are the rules. And I saw them the other day. <laughs> I saw them the other day. The piece of scrap paper in a multi-million dollar bill. And then we went in. By the way, James Naismith says, he was approached one day. He says, he says uh, Dr. Naismith, you know, if we taught a little bit about how to, where you ought to be on the court, he says, uh, I think we could do some good job coaching these guys to be excellent at this. He sa and Naismith says, no, no, no. You don't coach this stupid game. And Fog Allen says, I'll, I'll coach it. 
and we named the whole building the multi-complex. We named the thing after Allen, Fog Allen, Allen Fieldhouse. And at the end of the thing, it says, beware all who enter into this place, beware of the fog. And you go in there thinking, he's here. He's here. And all kinds of people think the Kansas Jayhawks are the single most important thing in the world. They go ahead and they, they actually arrange their lives around this. And by good, I'm so grateful we're lousy at football. I'd hate to think what would happen if we were good at football too. Oh my goodness, you talk about a God. What do we do? We get to the point where guys are making tens of millions of dollars a year playing this trivial game. It's tiddlywinks, guys. Basketball's not tiddlywinks. Yes, it is. And Christian men, so-called, all around this country, can't wait to get out in time to go see their league championships that start about noon or so. Come on, man, can we speed it up? I got a place I need to get to. Boy, I'd hate to live in Indianapolis when Peyton Manning was playing football. You were just at a major disadvantage at the late service. Guys were going to get up and leave if you didn't stop preaching. You say, I wonder what oh, Paul, <laughs> forget what we'd say. I wonder what Paul would have to say about that. We've taken the trivial. We've taken tiddlywinks. Put some baskets up. Got a little ball here. And all of a sudden, it's the most important thing in our whole lives. And this is what I wrote down late last night. In our world, we elevate the trivial to obsession, and we bend our sensibilities to silliness. Honestly, do heavenly-minded people do this kind of thing? Cars? Do we do it with cars? Do we do it with games? Do we do it with web pages? Do we do it with music? And this is my favorite one. Do we do it with politics? It's the worldly way, the American way, to take our trivial appetites and allow those appetites to rule us. John Nyhoff, it was remembered yesterday at his funeral that, uh, day before yesterday at his funeral in Kentucky, that he was in a Bible study one day and he said, you are not called to be a Trump Republican. And you are not called to be an Obama Democrat. You are called to be a Jesus disciple. Amen. The lady followed him out and says, whew, that took some bravery. He says, I don't know about everyone's brave. Just, I was just saying, hey, we ought to be crazy about Jesus, not crazy about Trump or Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or Barack Obama or whoever you want to go crazy over. We do not go crazy over them. We go crazy about Jesus. Amen. And when we don't do that, we are earthly-minded, not heavenly-minded. And Paul says, that's got to end. If that doesn't end, I'll chalk you up as well he should as an enemy of the cross. God help us. Last thing I want to say is this. 4-1 talks about standing firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord my beloved, by the way, I love that. Firm, that's a tough word, but beloved, that's a tender word. Guess what? I think, I think we can be tough in this faith as long as we have tenderness in our faith. 
And the tenderness comes from the love of Jesus and the love of the brothers and sisters of Christ in our life. But that word, stand firm, it means to stand firm, to persist, and to persevere. It's not just, hey, by the way, kind of mixed metaphor. Don't you think Paul does it all the time? He doesn't care about mixed metaphors. Hey, walk. No, stand. Walk. Stand. And you're going, well, what do I do? Do I walk? Do I stand? Yes. Walk and stand, man. He says, but I want you to stand. Stand firm. Persist. Persevere. Uh, my favorite thing of this is Galatians 5.1. Remember that? Stand firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Do not be subject again to the yoke of politics. Do not be, <laughs> do not be subject again to trivial games. Do not be subject again to stupid stuff. I've called you to more than that. Martin Luther King, on November 1954, had a sermon called the Transformed Nonconformist. Transformed Nonconformist. And this is what he said, direct quote. The Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of his society, but to be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature of his society. I like that. Don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. Don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. Now, a lady heard those words. Her name was Rosa. And a few months later, about five blocks from the pulpit where King delivered that sermon, there was a bus. And uh, black folk knew where they were supposed to be in the back. And Rosa says, you know, she said something like what Fannie Lou Hamer, the great Mississippi woman, said. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired here. I don't think this is Jesus. And she sat down in the white section, which was, you know, we'll let them do that. We'll let them do that until enough of us get here. And the bus driver said, woman, back to the back. And she very politely, I love this. She didn't yell back. She didn't all get all red and angry. She just said, no. And Rosa Parks changed the world because she stood firm. And Jesus is saying right now, I need for some of you to walk to the mess. Remember last week we talked about the mess? <laughs> we talked about the mess. The most meaningful lives, one of the things that the most meaningful lives have in common is that stress dynamic. Why? Because God calls people that want to lead meaningful lives into messes, into hard things. He says, I want to put you in the middle of a hard thing, and I want you to stand firm. So get walking to that hard thing I'm going to call you to. Then I want you to stand. And through that stance, Rosa didn't know she was going to change the world, but she changed America pretty profoundly and well beyond America by simply saying, no, sir, I think I'll stay. I think I'll stand right where Jesus wants me. Y'all got to do the same thing. I've got to do the same thing. We've got to do the same thing. Let me ask you a question here. Don't want to pray for you. We're about done here. But does anybody think, I'm not walking or standing quite like Jesus wants me to. I want to walk without hindrance, without impediment, without sin. I want to walk so that people can look at me and say, that's what holiness looks like, and that's what I think I ought to be like. Is there anything that is in your life that keeps you from that? And then 
The Lord has wanted you to stand firm, and you haven't done it. And he wants you to say today, Jesus, by your grace, I will stand for you in this hard place, no matter how much stress it brings me, no matter if they put me on a cross, and no matter if indeed they chop my head off. I will stand where you want me to stand for the glory of God. I'm just going to ask, anybody not walking the way you want to walk, anybody not standing the way he wants you to stand, I'd just like you to stand up right now right where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here not walking like he wants you to walk, anybody here not standing the way he wants you to stand, you stand up right where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus Christ, you see these folks? First off, I thank you that some people are saying, nope, I'm right there where I need to be. But Lord, some of these folks right now are saying, Jesus, I want a movement of grace in my life. I want the spirit of Jesus to move in my life and make me more like Christ so that I can walk like Jesus wants me to walk. So that, Lord Jesus, I can stand like God needs me to stand. So, Lord, I pray for my friends who are standing right now. I'm going to pray that you'll do an amazing thing in their life. Give them the grace. Give them the spirit to walk. Give them the grace, give them the spirit to stand. And Lord Jesus, we fully intend to go your direction. We fully intend to say no to ourselves and yes to you. We fully intend to deny ourselves to take up the cross that is tailor-made for our back, to get right smack dab down in the middle of the mess you want for us, and to be your woman, and to be your man. These people standing right now are saying, that's my prayer. And that's what I want you to do in my life, even this week, Lord Jesus Christ. And all those who are standing say amen. amen. And amen. And amen. Do it, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Dayspring. Hallelujah. You're dismissed. God bless you.